Thank you, Cole. Thank you, Taylor. It's good having friends to come and help us join the worship. You can give the Lord praise this morning. That's good. Oh, I'm so glad to be with you in worship here today. Hey, uh, if you would, uh, you could look to the uh, left of your rows. We're going to continue our worship through the giving of our tithes and offerings. Thank you, man. Uh, and honor our Lord in that way as well. So if you pass those down to the end of the aisle, one of our ushers is going to come by and pick that up in just a moment. If you're a guest with us, please don't feel obligated to give. Uh, but as members of the church, uh, we are going to honor the Lord in that way. Uh, hey, as they're doing that, wanted to give you a final update. Uh, if you were here, for the past couple months. In September, we did a special giving emphasis uh, where we gave ourselves a challenge and said, hey, let's give faithfully like we do uh, every week. Let's do our tithes and offerings. Uh, and then everything we bring in over our budget, we're going to pour out onto a bunch of local organizations. This was called Give United. Uh, and uh, th- we've actually got our, kind of our, more of our final tally. And we've got a list of the names uh, of some of the groups that we're going to be helping. Over 21 different groups that we're going to be helping uh, and be able to shower them with gifts has helped them in all the different things they do around this city. And look, you know some of these things. These folks work with uh, homeless ministry, uh, just fighting sex trafficking. There's people uh, in doing uh, abortion care and pregnancy care. Uh, there's different people uh, helping uh, at-risk uh, women and teens. Uh, we've got folks helping students, those dealing with pornography. I mean, look, you can go all over this place. There's so many different things that we're going to be able to help out with all throughout the city. Uh, and, and look, we, we had some things come in late. Last week, we told you we had $24,000 over our budget, that number did go up. Uh, and so here at the end of Give United, we actually have uh, a grand total uh, of $84,842 we're going to be able to pour out uh, on local community. And listen, that is, that's one month, one month over top of our budget. He said, Adam, how'd the number go up that big? Well, we had some post-dated checks and yes, there were a couple of larger checks in there, but listen, here's what that shows. One, if you have capacity to be able to give larger gifts, I mean, it moves the needle. It does incredible things, but also you don't get there without consistent faithfulness from all of us. And when we are all faithful, Look at what the Lord can do. And man, we're going to get to bless so many people who are blessing so many people all around this city. I am so excited to see what God has done through Give United this year. That number could actually go up just a little little bit more even from there. But I'm so excited about what he's done. I mean, let's give the Lord praise. Let's continue to be faithful and generous and see what he'll continue to do. And look, we have another opportunity to do that. You might have seen outside, uh, but we've done this every year for almost a decade now. Uh, It's Backpacks and Bears. This is a service of Two Feathers Ministries. This is Rick and Deb Kessiker, who've been serving Native Americans all over the country uh, for a long, long time. And this is a special program where we have an opportunity to grab an empty backpack. They're all out here over in the comments. Uh, You can grab one of these, and it's got a tag uh, with a a child's kind of age uh, on it and and specific needs. And we can fill this up, and they are going to be delivered uh, to kids on Native American reservations in four different states at Christmas time. So it's an opportunity for kids who might not be able to get uh, any gifts or certainly not a lot. We have the opportunity to really bless them, also share the gospel with them by packing these backpacks full and then delivering them all over the country. Some of y'all have been on our Choctaw mission trip. Uh, You might go every summer. That's one of the places where these will go. In fact, there's an opportunity to go over to uh, the reservation on the 22nd. We're going to be having a family day, just a one-day deal where we could go over there and really continue to build relationships. So that's on 
offer as well. Uh, but look, if you would like to participate, all you got to do is go pick up one of the backpacks, uh, fill it up, and then on the 23rd, bring that back sometime between now and then filled, uh, and you can just drop it off here, and then those will be delivered right at Christmas time. Rick and Deb are over in the comments as well, so if you'd like to know more about the ministry, they are there. They're here every week, but another opportunity for us to be generous and to serve people in Jesus's name. So I'm excited to see how the Lord works through that as well. But now, grab your Bibles, if you will. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 is where we'll be in just a minute uh, as we continue our sermon series called Worldview. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 is where we'll be in just a second. We're really asking the question, what do I believe? We live in a chaotic world. There's all kinds of different ideas and things. And some people have said, hey, Adam, okay, when are we going to talk about all the, like, the hot button issues? And look, we're going to get there, but we can't talk about what we don't believe until we actually know what we do believe. You don't define yourself by what you don't believe. You define yourself by what you do believe. And so we're really walking through what is our worldview? What defines how we view the world? How does God see it? What does God tell us about reality? And that we're really kind of finding out, okay, what do we believe? But honestly, we need to answer an even more basic question. What does that word believe mean? Uh, Because we say that word a lot, do we not? I believe this. I believe that. I believe you're right. Okay, we, we say that word believe, but it doesn't always mean maybe what we think it means. Because people say things is that they believe it a lot, but they might not actually believe it. Have you noticed that? Uh, th- there's a whole tendency online and in social media and everywhere uh, just to give out hot takes. Have you noticed that? Everybody's got a hot take on everything. Something happens and everybody wants to have a hot take. Right? A hot take is when you don't, you know, no thought, you've just got an instant reaction to something's going on. It's usually a little bit provocative, uh, maybe controversial, but you're going to kind of throw that out there and say, hot take, here's, here's kind of what I think on this issue. All right? So it'd be something like this. Hot take, uh, listen, Auburn is now a basketball school. All right? It just is. Let's just go ahead own it. So let's just save the money and abolish the football program. Just abolish it. Just kill it. You're a basketball school now in there. Kill the football program. Hot take. Another hot take. Listen, Nick Saban is clearly losing his edge. I'm so sorry. When you can't beat, you know, Texas A&M, but by a play, they're gimpy already and you can't win, but by four points at home, you clearly lost your edge and need to be fired. Hot take. All right. I mean, people say things like this, people go, Whoa, and they're all, they're doing their thing. Here's the deal. No one actually believes anything like that. Like, you know, people say stuff like that. They don't believe it. Imagine if anybody actually tried to follow through on that and abolish the football program. People are like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> Imagine if anybody tried to fire Nick Saban. Try it. I'd like to actually see that, really. I mean, that, nobody would do that. I mean, you say something, but you don't actually believe it, right? Because believe means something deeper. In fact, this word believe in scripture is a very specific word, and it's actually translated multiple ways in the scriptures. It is not just translated believe. This is sometimes translated faith. In fact, oftentimes when we see the word faith and believe, you're seeing the same Greek word, or at least the same root Greek word there. But when you really dive into this word, the, the essence of this is not, I agree with that statement. When you say the word believe or faith, what this really means is trust. 
Is I, is I believe this so much so that I'm going to put my trust in this. I am entrusting. I, I, I believe this. I have faith so much so that I'm going to step out and entrust myself to it. I'm going to put action behind it. Why? Because this is what I truly believe. All right, and that's different. Imagine if you've got a couple that have been dating for years. One looks at the other one and says, I love you so much. And the other says, great, let's get married. And the other one says, hang on a second. Let's just date for another four years. Wait, what's going on? You just said you love me. You just said you did these. Why are we not going to put faith in us? Well, I love you. I just don't know if I want to entrust myself to you. I don't know if I want to really give everything to you, to forsake all others for you, to, to really share everything I have. I don't know. Well, if that's the case, then I don't know if you truly love that person. Same thing with belief. When you believe something biblically, this is something I'm going to put my trust in, my faith in. Not simply I agree with that, but I am going to entrust myself. I'm going to live knowing that believing that this is true. And that's different. So the question is, what do you believe? Because we've learned a few things so far in our series, right? Uh, First off, we learned that the Bible is God's word. All right, so we believe it's the authoritative word of God. God is revealing himself to us. Things we would never have been able to discover about God on our own. God chooses to reveal himself. So the Bible is not simply something that we can kind of pick and choose at. We say, no, this is God's authoritative word. He reveals himself and tells me truth through his word. It explains me, not the other way around. So the Bible is God's word. Secondly, we found out that we are created in God's image to be in a relationship with him. This is the purpose of our existence. The reason you are alive is because God made you on purpose. You are not an accident. You matter. You were made on purpose. And here is that purpose, that you would be in a relationship with the God who made you. This is why he made you in his image. But then last week, we find out that there was a problem. We look at life and realize, hey, listen, this life isn't great. This world isn't great. There's a problem. And we now know what that problem is. That problem is sin. Sin is the problem that has broken everything. We have a broken relationship with the God who made us. And not just us, but all of creation with us. And this causes all of the problems between us as individuals, with us in the world, is because There is sin that is entered in. Now, the question is, do you believe these things? Do you believe these things to be true? Because if they are, well, then we have a severe problem. How in the world are we going to deal with sin? This is the problem you need to think about. If you believe what the Bible tells us and sin really has separated us from God, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. This is the problem you got to contend with. What does it matter if we accomplish anything if we don't solve that? What does it matter if you get the promotion or the better house or make a lot of money or the lake house or your kids get into a good school or, or, or whatever it might be, whatever achievement that you're looking for, the fame, the accolades, the, the pleasure. What does it matter if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? It is the question. If we believe what the Bible is telling us is true, this is the question we got to answer. So if we are sinners, what do we do about it? Well, let's pick up where we left off last week. This is Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. 
Uh, we read this at the end of the sermon last week. Here's the beginning of the gospel of Mark. It says, now after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. All right, so this is Jesus's message. In a nutshell, the kingdom is here. Repent and believe, there's that word, in the gospel. Now, the word gospel means good news. You might have already known that. So what Jesus is bringing is good news. This is what he preaches everywhere. I came to preach the gospel. I came to share the gospel. People need to repent and believe the gospel. It is this good news. Well, what is the good news? Well, that good news is going to help us have a right relationship with God and deal with sin. You see, when you and I really come to grips with the fact that we're broken... When we come to grips with the fact that there's a problem in us, there's a couple different ways of seeking salvation. When we know we have an issue, there's a few different ways of seeking salvation. You can seek salvation through sin. You can seek salvation through religion. Or you can seek salvation through Jesus. And almost everybody is in one of these groups. First off, some of us just look for salvation through sin. You say, Adam, how does that work? We just decide if I got what I wanted, I would be happy. If I could just do what I wanted, if people would get off my back, if they would stop blocking me, if I could just have what I wanted, I would be happy. That's all I need. Just stop bugging me. Don't don't give me your rules, your stuff. Just, just, Just stop bugging me. Let me do what I want. If I could just have this affair, if I could just have this new job, if I didn't have this responsibility, if I could just do this thing, if people would stop bugging me and I could have what I wanted, surely I would be happy. That may be where you are today, to which I would ask, how's it working out for you? And is it actually bringing the salvation that it promised you? Well, it doesn't. People have been doing this for years. We start out, all of us, doing that. But there is no salvation through sin. So instead, some people find salvation through religion. I may be so, Adam, that sounds good, right? Well, here's religion in a nutshell. Religion is when you and I try to be saved by our moral effort. We come to some sort of religion and say, okay, how then do I fix it? And they said, well, I got an answer. Here's how you fix it. You fix it by being good. And if you try hard enough and you do do enough right things, you get in. You'll be okay again. Try hard enough, you'll get in. This is almost every religious system on the planet in some way, shape, or form. Break it down. Here's the rules. Do all the rules. And if you do enough rules and you do them long enough and you try hard enough, then surely you will have paid off your sin. You will be better than other people. You will make the cut. You will make it in. And some people, very sincerely, they will come to a a church, sometimes possibly even this church, and say, okay, Adam, I get it. I'm I'm wrong. I get that sin doesn't help me. And so I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm going to be better. I promise I can do this. And we try real hard. But there's this nagging question in the back of our brains, which is this. How do you know when you've been good enough? How do you know if you've done enough? And then we keep messing up here and there. And so how do I know have I done enough good things to outweigh the bad things? You see, there's no real salvation in our own moral effort. And if that's all we have, there's there's no real life there. And so Jesus comes with a third option. He says, no, there's salvation through me. You see, I don't bring you good advice. I bring you good news. Did you notice that when he said the gospel? He said, this is good news. I'm not telling you, here's the rules. Here's the things you got to do. Here's all these things. He says, no, I'm bringing you good 
news, and the news is this, is that in me, you can have salvation. In me, you can have a right relationship with God. Jesus doesn't tell us about the way. He says, no, I am the way. He doesn't simply show us the way. He says, no, I am the way. The salvation is found in me, my life, my death, my resurrection. If you can put your trust in me, if you can put your faith in me, in me, you can be saved and have the right relationship with God that you were made for. So let me kind of show you how this breaks down. Paul actually, actually you know, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter three. You ought to have it right there in your Bible if you get that open. I'm actually going to put it on the screen this week. I don't normally do this for the main passage, but I'm going to do it this week uh, because there's just a lot here. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now look, I know, that's a lot of words, okay? That's a lot. That's fairly technical, all right? So let's break this down real quick uh, and see what he said. Go back to that first uh, slide, if you will. And see what it says. Uh, verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And so again, believe the gospel. Believe in Jesus Christ. Put your trust in him. For there is no distinction, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We said this last week. There's, there's no one who's excluded. There's no one who can say, yeah, but I'm, I'm doing better. I'm actually better than everybody else. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all gained a broken relationship with the Father. But Verse 24, we are justified by his grace as a gift. That word justified means I'm made right with God. It is just as if I'd never sinned. I can be justified in the sight of God. In Jesus Christ, God can restore that relationship. How? This is by grace. It's not by my moral effort. It's not by what I do. It's not by being good enough. It's not by trying hard enough. This is a gift of God. This is the amazing grace of God that he gives us that he doesn't say, well, try it out. And if you work hard enough, maybe I'll keep you. Or maybe if you, you do long enough, and as long as you don't do these four things, these are the really bad ones, then maybe you can stay on. He said, no, this is gift. This is grace that I give to you. And so we are justified. We have a right relationship with God by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Last week, we learned that we are sold as a slave to sin. Sin enslaves us. We don't simply have a little bit of issue here or there. We are slaves to sin and we can't break ourselves out. We can't free ourselves. Well, the Bible says that we are redeemed in Jesus Christ. There's a redemption that comes in Jesus. He literally buys us back. He brings us out of that slavery. He says, no, whatever you has to be paid, I will pay it. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to bring you out of that slavery. There is a redemption in Jesus Christ. You are no longer where you were. I'm going to redeem you in me. Go on to the next phrase. 
He says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Say that 10 times fast. All right, so look, there's a lot here. He says, how does that happen? How in the world can he buy us back? Well, look at the phrase, by his blood. That's a reference to the cross. When Jesus Christ comes, he doesn't simply come to teach. If you believe that Jesus is just simply a great moral teacher, you have missed it. Because Jesus didn't simply come to teach. He had prophets for that. Instead, he says, no, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. I'm going to be the propitiation by my blood. How does he buy us back? He does so at the sacrifice of his very life. He goes to the cross and gives his life. And that's where we get this word propitiation. It's a deep word, but it basically means he's our our stand-in. Jesus has satisfied everything that is necessary. Everything that we were supposed to do, he did. All the penalty that we deserved, he paid. He is the propitiation. There's an exchange going on where he's basically saying, I'm going to pay all that is necessary. Everything that you should have done, I'm going to stand in instead and I'm going to take care of all of it. There is no more guilt. I've already taken it. There's no more debt. I've already taken it. I'm going to satisfy every righteous requirement by my own actions. Jesus stands as the propitiation for us by his blood. Whatever we owe, Jesus already paid. Propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Same word there as belief there. This was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance. He had passed over former sins. God had not given us what we deserved. He had not punished us as we deserved. He was patient and literally held all of that righteous wrath back so that it could all fall on his son instead. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just. You see, God's still holy. Sin doesn't get a pass. He he can't just ignore it. He can't just pretend it didn't happen. He is holy and righteous and sin must be dealt with. He is just in punishing sin, but he is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And because Jesus has taken all that wrath, he was perfect, but he switched places with us. He gives us his righteousness And he takes our sinfulness. Jesus Christ (laughs) proves that God is just, but he is also the justifier, not of the people who are super good, but of the people who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Do you see why this is good news? Because it means no matter who you are or what you've done or how long you've been gone, There's a God who knows everything you have done and will do, and he hasn't abandoned you. He loves you so much so that he sent his son to die for you. And if you will put your faith and trust in him, you'll give up on your own life and instead surrender yourself to him in Christ. You can have a right relationship with him again you can have eternal life in him again. You see, he didn't stay dead. He rose again. We serve a living savior who offers you salvation in Jesus Christ to anyone who will believe. This is the good news that is offered to the entire world. But look, I know that was kind of like technical. And so let's make this a little bit more personal. How does this flesh out in real life though? Like, what does that look like for for you and for me? And Jesus actually tells a story that will help us with this. It's in Luke chapter 15. 
And you can turn there if you like. I'll put it on the screen too. It's a familiar story. Many of us might know it as the parable of the prodigal son. But that's a little bit of a misnomer because when Jesus tells this parable, it's actually not the story of one son. It's the story of two sons. But listen to this. Jesus is telling a story and he says this. He says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Oh, wait a minute. This is the wrong place. Uh, I think I put, the, I think I put the wrong thing here. Let's just go to Luke 15. I'll turn right there. Um, that's totally my fault. So my bad. Uh, there in the back. Let me go to Luke 15. Although that's a good passage too. Maybe I'll preach on that next week. So that's a really good one. All right. So, um, okay. Yes. Yeah, uh, oh, it's not there. It started at verse one. I was right. I put the wrong thing there. Let's skip down to verse 11. How about that? Um, and so that's where I went wrong. That's why there were so many slides there. Okay. I'm getting it now. I'm figuring it out. All right. Verse 11. Here we go. See, they were right. Uh, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And so he divided his property between them. And now many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but nobody gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Amazing. This is a familiar story, is it not? Not just because you might recognize this parable, but it's a familiar story that we live out. There's a son in his father's house who says, I am so tired of your rules. I am so tired of the curfews. I'm so tired of the wait until later. I'm so tired of you being the one in charge. If you would just let me do what I want to do, I promise you it would be better. If I could just do life on my own terms, if you you would just give me the resources where I could could live like I want to live, I would be so much happier than living here under your thumb. And he gets so angry, he finally looks at his dad and says, Dad, I'm bugging you. You're bugging me. I just, I just wish you were already dead so I could have your money. That's about how offensive it is to say, I want the inheritance early. I just wish you were dead now so I could have your stuff. The father hears this. Instead of killing his son on sight, which he could, he says, okay. Gives him the inheritance early. It's still the father's, but he's going to say, no, 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 have it. Son takes it and squanders it all. See, here's the thing. It actually works for a little while. He doesn't fall flat on his face. For a while, it's awesome. Dude, he's got money. He's got freedom. 
He does whatever he wants. No rules. Nobody gets to tell me what to do. Nobody looking down on me. Nobody, nobody saying whatever. I get to do whatever I want. He thinks I have proven my dad wrong until life intervenes. You see, as his money runs out, a famine hits the land. If you're in the ancient Near East and a famine hits, that is dangerous. That is devastating. And here's the deal. Because you and I are not in control of the world, sooner or later, life's always going to intervene. How does it work for you? We think we got it all under control until there's a disease or a divorce or a job loss or a pandemic or a war. The stock market goes crazy. Something you hadn't planned on. Something that you don't have any control over. Something that you can't fix. And all of a sudden, it has racked your world. And this young man, instead of having the time of his life, finds himself in a pig pit feeding pigs. The pig is the most hated animal in Jewish culture. And he's sitting there wanting to eat the pig slop. And his boss is right there going, no, 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 no. No, 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 boy. Those pigs are more important than you. Don't you dare eat their food. I need those pigs way more than I need you. Can you imagine how degrading that is? This is a young man made in the image of God. Made to have dominion over the earth. He's in a pig pit. And he didn't even have food to eat. And he finally says to himself, how how did I get here? The Bible says he comes to his senses. When he finally gets into that pig pit, that's when he comes to his senses. Can I ask an honest question? What's it going to take for you to hit rock bottom? Like seriously. Because some of you, you've danced around it for years. You circled the drain a couple of times that you managed to get out of it. And you convinced yourself this next time you'll be fine. That was just an aberration. You really are in control. You really can fix it. The sin's not really all that big a deal. Can I, can I just ask, when, when, when are you going to hit rock bottom? And how many more people have to get hurt? How many more relationships have to get destroyed? How how much more pain do you have to endure before we all get to the place where we recognize I was wrong? I was wrong. My dad was right this whole time. God was right this whole time. Because, look, there's a ton of smart people in this room, and that's almost more dangerous. There's a ton of affluent people in this area, and that's almost more dangerous. We have all kinds of technology during this time that we live in. And it's almost more dangerous because when you add intelligence and affluence and technology, you can do all kind of harm, can't you? We can make it work for a while. Sooner or later, it all falls apart. And what do you do? What do you do when you realize it really was my fault? What do you do when you realize it's, I can't fix it? What do you do? This young man has a solution. He says, I'll go home. Listen, I, I, I know he won't take me back as a son. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. See, he recognizes that the relationship's broken. He can't go back as a son anymore. His relationship with the father is broken. He says, but the servants in my dad's household eat better than me. So at least I won't starve. And then maybe I can work off some of the things I've done against him, but at least I won't starve and I'll be in a place that I know. I'll go home and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he goes home. 
And as he's marching back, he's getting closer and the anxiety is building in him because he doesn't know how his father's going to react until he sees his father running towards him. He's probably expecting the, I mean, the punch to come right out of the gate. And instead, he just gets tackled in an embrace. And he doesn't even know what to do. He's like laying there on the ground. Like, what, what, is, going, what is going on? Until he realizes there's, there's tears falling down on him. And a father who's glad to see him. And before he can even get a speech out, dad, 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 no, I get it. I got to say it out loud. I got to tell you. And listen, listen, I sin against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be your son. He can't even get the speech out. The dad's barking orders saying, bring everybody, bring it, bring, we're throwing a party, bring the robe, bring the, bring the sandals, bring the ream because my son is home. Do you notice how he called him son? And said the relationship doesn't have to be broken. I said, son, you don't deserve it, but I'm taking you back. What amazing love. What amazing grace. It's what we've been singing about for generations. What amazing grace. He doesn't deserve it. He hasn't worked it off. He hasn't, hasn't done anything. He deserves all of these things. What amazing grace that God gives to us. So what's the moral of the story? Adam, so what you're telling me is, I can go send my guts out. And then when I'm done on my deathbed, ask Jesus to forgive me and I'm good. Cool. Great. See you on my deathbed. No, 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 it didn't work like that. Cause you see, there's still a cost to be paid. Where do you think the inheritance went? Oh, it's long gone and it's not coming back. Can't get it back. The father actually has nothing at the end of this story because he's given it to his two sons. You see, all that's gone. The father's just going to have to eat that. All the dishonor, he's just going to have to eat that. In order for this to be a right relationship again, the father's just going to have to eat that. There's an incredible price that has to be paid for the son to come home, and the father's going to pay it. Here's the second difference. In this story, the son can come home, but when it comes to you and me, we can't. The son could walk home. There was a path. He could walk home. We can't get back to the father. Do you know why? We're dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We're dead. We can't lift ourselves up. We can't make ourselves alive. We can't actually get back to him. And so the father, because of his great love for us, sends his son to come get us. That's what Jesus does for you. When you think about Jesus Christ, this is the father sending his son to come get us. Because we'd never make it back to him on our own. And Jesus comes and pays the price for all of our sin and all of our rebellion and all of our evil. All the punishment that we deserve. Jesus Christ pays all of it so he can take us home. There's no salvation in your sin. But there's salvation in Jesus Christ when we admit I am a sinner. I've sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm not worthy to be called your son. But because of the amazing grace of God and the great love which with he loved us, he has sent his son to save us if we will entrust ourselves, not to our salvation or sin, but to the love that is in Jesus Christ. But don't forget, there's two sons in the story. That's actually not the end of the parable. Jesus continues to speak. 
So look at verse 25. Notice what it says here. It says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back, safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might go celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him? And the father says to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting for us to celebrate and be glad for this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found. You see, this second son has a different problem, but the same problem all at the same time. See, these two look like two totally different people. Whereas the first son runs off into his sin to do whatever he wants. The second son does the opposite. He's got to pick up the slack. He says, no, I'm going to be the good son. I will be the good one. While you're being the bad kid, I'll be the good kid. And he does everything he's supposed to. Fulfills all of his obligation, does all of these different things. And when he looks at himself, he has such pride in his work to say, I have done so good. He looks at his father and says, I've never disobeyed a command of yours. But it doesn't ring true, does it? His anger and his bitterness, it betrays something. Because you see, he's not really like his father, is he? He's obeyed all the father's rules, but he clearly doesn't know the father's heart. He lives in the father's house, but he doesn't share the father's heart. He's done all the commands, but he hasn't actually lived in right relationship with his father. You see, he looks good on the surface, but his relationship with his father is just as broken as the first son. Do you know why? Because you can't earn your way back in. This is the equivalent of all the other people who will follow through. This is a parable that Jesus tells, but you could almost hear these words coming out of Nicodemus or Paul or some of us. You ever been in a place in life where you actually said this to the Lord? You owe me. You ever said that? Probably not. You ever felt it? You just didn't say it? I was shocked when I heard this come out of my mouth. After going through counseling for a couple years for a different issue, I finally found out what my real issue was. I've been doing all of these things only to find out this come rushing out of me. God, you owe me for all the things that I have done. It's terrifying to find out what's really in your heart. To find out what's really lurking in there. And to realize he doesn't owe me anything. And what I have been trying to do was earn all the things that God offers. To earn these things. And God doesn't do anything by earning. He says, you can't earn your way back in. This is every religious person saying, I'm a good person. Isn't that interesting? You talk to most people, especially in the South. Man, do you you know if you're going to heaven? Sure. How do you know? I'm a good person. We, We haven't even talked about what the standard of good is or how you got to that estimation. But most people think, I'm good enough. I do good things. I'm at least better than them, whoever they are. I don't do what they do. I do good things. And because I'm good, God owes me. He owes me a good life. He owes me uh, no cancer. He owes me no problems. He owes me uh, less pain. He owes me because I've done these things. 
And Father says, you, you don't recognize that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That all of us are broken. And there's no salvation to your sin. There's also no salvation in yourself. There's no salvation in you being good enough. There's no end to that. There's no security in that. And you find yourself bitter when the world breaks in on us too. And problems emerge. And we go, what has happened? But did you notice that the father comes out to him too? He rushes out to meet the first son. But when his older son won't come in, he rushes out to meet him too. And he entreats him. and says, won't you come home? Won't you come into the party? Won't you come in and recognize that everything I have is yours? I love you too. You can come in and just receive it by grace. You don't have to earn this anymore. It's yours in me when you have a right relationship with the Father. I wonder if some of you here today are just racked by anxiety because you just never know if you've done enough. You keep trying and trying and trying and you know you make mistakes so you keep trying and trying and trying and you're trying so hard and it's never good enough and you just, you're buckling under the pressure. Can you hear the good news of Jesus Christ when he says, there is no one who is good, no, not one. No human being has ever done this. There's only one person in all of history who has ever fully fulfilled the law and it is Jesus Christ. And that Jesus Christ is offering you his life. You don't earn it. You just receive it. You believe it. You put your trust, not in yourself and your ability to get better, but you just put your trust in the fact that Jesus is best. And because he's already done it in him, I can have eternal life. There's no salvation in sin. There's no salvation in bare religion. There's instead salvation in Jesus Christ. And so let's end where we begin. Go back to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. When Jesus comes, he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So this is what he asks of us. When you and I finally realize, yes, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I cannot fix it. I can't fix this just by leaning into the sin. I can't fix this by trying to be good enough. Then what do I do? I repent and believe. It starts with repentance. Or I recognize I am a sinner. I finally come to my senses and I recognize, wait a minute, you're right and I'm wrong. Wait a minute, I know I thought I had it all under control and I thought I had you figured out. I thought I had the world figured out. I'm actually wrong. You're right. I admit it. I'm a sinner. And then I have to, I have to turn from that. See, if I truly believe that I'm a sinner, I can't just say that and keep doing what I'm doing. I can't agree with the God that, you, that you're right and good and loving and then just continue in my sin. I, I got to turn from that and say, God, I, I'm so sorry, but I repent. But then the second thing is this, I believe. I don't have to work at it. I don't have to try real hard. I don't have to earn it. He says, can you receive eternal life in me? Can you put your trust not in yourself? Can you put your trust fully in me? Can you entrust your life? Can you recognize that on your own, you are dead in your sins? You'll never make it. 
But if you entrust yourself to me, if you live in me, if you have a right relationship with me in Christ, you have a relationship with the father that will never change. You have eternal life that will never be taken from you. Regardless of what you do, when I put my trust in him, my salvation in him, I entrust myself to him. What I gain is forgiveness and acceptance, justification, propitiation, love, eternal life. All the things that are in Jesus are now given to me because of what he has done. Everything that needs to be done, Jesus has done. All that I had to pay, Jesus has paid. And because that cross is empty, it means he's alive, which means right now he can offer this to you. So here's the question. Have you repented and believed the gospel? I hear people tell me this. They say, Adam, I've always been a Christian. Hear me when I tell you right back. You you have not. There's not a soul on this planet who's always been a Christian. Impossible. Impossible. Because all of us are born sinners. And at some point we have to repent. That is a conscious act. That did not happen when you were baptized as an infant. For us to repent means this. I recognize I'm a sinner. I admit voluntarily. Nobody forces. I turn from my sins. And then I ask God to do for me what I cannot do. I believe in him. That's a conscious act. So here's my question. Have you repented and believed in the gospel? Because the same God who chased those sons... It's the same God who's chasing you. It's the same God who sent his son, raised him from the grave, and is calling out to you. And no matter who you are or what you've done, whether you've been the worst sinner or you've tried the hardest as the most religious person, Jesus Christ is offering you salvation in him that you will never lose when you and I believe the good news that Jesus is the savior of the world. So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want you to really think about that. Have you repented and believed in the gospel? I am not asking if you are perfect. There's none of those of us in here. I'm not asking if you've made mistakes. We all have. I'm simply asking, have you come to a place in your life where you realized I'm broken and I can't fix myself? I'm a sinner. I don't just have a couple issues that maybe if God cleans those up, I could keep control and I'd be fine. No, I'm broken. I'm a sinner. Have you ever come to the place where you recognized that we sinned against heaven and against the God who made us? It's a terrifying thought. It's a pride-shattering thought, which is why we run away from it. But it's necessary because it's true. Have you ever come to a place where you recognize, I'm, I'm a sinner and I need to repent, but I can't fix myself. And this is where Jesus Christ comes to you and offers you his entire life. He says, I'm not asking you to fix it because you can't. Guess what? I will fix it for you. Because it's the only way it'll work. I'm not putting a down payment on you and then we'll see how well you work. And maybe if you work hard enough by the end, you'll pay some off and then you can keep it. He says, no, I've paid it all. And I offer it all to you. By faith. By trust. And so I wonder if you've ever come to a place where you've entrusted your entire life to Jesus Christ. Not part of you. Not I agree with Jesus, 
I surrender my whole life to him. I need salvation in Jesus Christ. And it's such good news that it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been or how long you've tried. He loves you. That amazing grace is for you. His salvation is for you. He came after you. And he's offering it. And so in just a moment, we're going to sing some songs of worship. But could I just ask you even here right now, if you're here today and and your heart's kind of beating out of your chest because you know that I've never done that. I've never had a real relationship with the Lord. I've had a relationship with goodness or church, but, but I've never really had a relationship with God. I've never known at the core of my being that he loves me, that I've been made right by Jesus. If you've never given your life to him right now, by faith, you can. Right now, in this moment, don't wait. Right now, by faith, you can express that to him and say, God, I'm a sinner. I can't fix it. But I believe you love me. And I believe that you died on the cross. You took all of my sins. And Jesus, in you, not in me, but in you, I can have an eternal life that will never give away. Is it time to stop running, stop fixing, and instead just surrender and come home? Let the Savior bring you home. Come into the party. And let the Lord give you eternal life. Tell him that from your heart by faith right now. Don't even wait for anything else. Just tell him right now. Say, God, that's me. I need to give my life to you for the very first time. I finally hold nothing back. I give everything to you. God, save me. Forgive me. Save me. Tell him from your heart. Just a moment. We're going to sing songs of worship. I'll be here up front. If you want somebody to pray with you, I'll pray with you. You want to come to these altars? Let's come pray at the altar. But let's today celebrate that there is good news of great joy That can be for all of us sinners that Jesus Christ has come to save us. So Jesus, thank you. God, I'm so sorry we're so stubborn. And we're stubborn in a billion different ways. And you've seen them all. And you came for all of us. Every one of us. There's no one who's excluded. Father, you have opened up a way back for salvation. But Father, we can't take it on our own. We need your help. Would you save us? Would you help us? We confess our sin and just ask for your salvation. Lord, I pray for anybody here who's never known the joy of a real relationship with you, that today could be the day they don't ever have to worry about it again. Lord, that they can know that all of their sins have been forgiven and that you will never leave. That in you, there's eternal life. Father, would you bring people to salvation even right now as I speak? Would we put our trust in you? And Father, for all of us who are brothers and sisters who have received your salvation, we still so need your help. Thank you that as we grow and struggle, you have never once thought of abandoning us. But you continue to help us grow in you. We honor you. We worship you. We praise you for being all we need for salvation. We love you in the name of Jesus.